Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. You're listening to Firearms Cafe. I'm your host, Tony Brown, and today is Sunday, the 15th of January, 2012. Well, I hope everybody had a good Christmas and is having a good New Year. I want to take some time before we jump into the show proper to thank everybody for sticking with me. I know that I go on kind of long hiatuses of three, four weeks sometimes before putting out a show, and I'm going to resolve to do better this coming year. Uh, Ultimately, what I'd like to do is to have at least two shows per month. And as many of you guys know that subscribe to this show, I also do another show, which is called The Armed Ape. And my plan is to, on week one, let's say I'll, I'll do a firearms cafe. The next week I'll do an armed ape, vice versa, and just go back and forth so that if you're subscribed to both shows, hopefully, again, we're crossing our fingers here, hopefully you'll be able to have a show at least once per week. Uh, sometimes, though, life does get in the way. Uh, we all know that we can get busy, and, and sometimes things just sort of come up. Uh, so... Let's go ahead and enough of that. Let's go ahead and jump in with the show. If you'd like to contact me, you can do so a couple of different ways. I've got the voicemail and I've got email. Voicemail is 206-745-2731, 206-745-APE1. I do use that voicemail for my other podcast as well. So just let me know if you leave a message for me, which show you'd like it played on. Uh, Also, if you wanted to just send me just a regular voicemail just for me, And this would go the same for the email. Uh, And it's not to be played on the show. Just let me know uh, kind of when you start that this really isn't just that this isn't for public consumption, I guess we should say. Now, with the email, if you'd like to record your own uh, audio file, so a WAV file or an MP3, you can send that to me at at, uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com. All one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I know I sound a little rusty here. I'm kind of bumbling, but that I think will get better as we go along. Uh, also, again with that, if you want to just write something out, uh, I'll be more than happy to read it for you. And uh, if you don't want me to mention your name, uh, go ahead and let me know that as well. Uh, but a lot of times I'll like to use just your first name in the state. You're still going to be anonymous and all that kind of stuff. So, This show is part of the Gun Rights Radio Network. Podcasting freedom. One show thingy at a time or something like that. I don't know. You can hear Gun Rights Radio Network on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, BlackBerry, or Palm phones. On demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. Gun Rights Radio Network shows can be found under sources. All right, let's go ahead and let's jump in with those emails that I got. And uh, I got an email from uh, Chris, and Christopher writes in and he says, Hello, my name is Christopher, and I'm from Utah. Just started listening to the podcast, and let's just say that I'm recommending it to everyone that I know will benefit as I have. I just wanted to write in and say thanks so much for what you're doing. And look forward to future podcasts. Thank you. Well, thanks, Chris, in Utah. I really appreciate that. Uh, Like I said, I get a huge kick out of hearing from you guys. It makes uh, doing the show really worthwhile to know that I'm I'm connecting on some level uh, with you guys as listeners. Uh, Now, we have another email, and this is Rick from Chicago. And he writes in, Tony, I recently found Gun Rights Radio Network and have been listening to your archive podcast, which I thoroughly enjoy. Thank you for the time you put into them. In one of your previous podcasts, you mentioned guns showing up on TV 
where you might not typically see them and ask listeners to let you know of any similar sightings. I've recently seen two stories, one on Good Morning America and on the Today Show, uh, that talk about guns and preparedness in a positive light. And I've attached two links to this email. Take care, Rick. All right. Well, again, thanks for sending that in. What I'll do is uh, I'll take the links that I got from Rick and I will put those on the show notes uh, at firearmscafe.com. And uh, again, if you're going to go to, you'd go to episode 66, which is going to be this show's number, uh, and you'll be able to find all the links to the things that we talk about on the show today. Tony, this is John. Um, on your last Firearms Cafe show, you um, you read an email that I had sent you about a police officer who received an award for valor. Um, I do uh, I appreciate that you see my point, and uh, you're entitled to your own opinion. I, I agree with you that the officer did deserve the award. Um, I guess my discontent just solely comes from the quotes from the police chief where he says, quote, Sergeant Loney not only reacted in textbook police fashion, but also showed great restraint once the suspect surrendered. To me, that kind of implies that, you know, a, a lot of this award was based on the fact that the, this officer didn't go ahead and just execute the suspect um, when he clearly could have and nothing would have come of it. Um, the police chief continues, he followed proper procedure, which resulted in the suspect being taken into custody while using the minimal amount of force necessary. Just once again, just focusing on, you know, he followed the procedure and didn't go overboard. Um, and I don't think that necessarily deserves an award for valor. I mean, just being in that dangerous situation, handling himself well, um, taking cover, firing back, you know, hitting the suspect, I mean, that... You know, all of that under pressure, that deserves the award. Um, the following procedure and not executing an unarmed person, I don't think that deserves the award. And that's that's where the basis of my comments came from. But, you know, thanks for covering it on the air. I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here. Um, appreciate your podcast. Talk to you later. Thanks for sending that stuff in. Appreciate it. Made some valid points. Agree with those that you made. I don't think you're beating a dead horse. Hope to hear from you again real soon. Uh, you know, it's funny, in some ways you could make the argument that by saying that the guy followed procedure, that he's implying that other officers would not have and may have gone too far, and, and that could have resulted in the death of the suspect. I don't think that was the intent of, of what the police chief or whoever was saying, but I do see your point in that. So speaking of police, you know, in past shows, we've talked about the militarization of the police, kind of why that's a bad thing. We touched on that briefly. I think on the last show I used the example of the Andy Griffith show and the type of police department that they had in, in Mayberry. So let's continue some of that discussion today. And let's, I'll kind of paraphrase a quote that Franklin had said, which was that those that will, that will trade essential liberty for the promise of temporary security will get nor deserve either. And you know, in today's society, people are willing to trade their freedoms and their liberty for promise safety, not because they truly believe that it will make them safer, but because it's a way to abdicate their responsibility for keeping themselves safe. 
If you say that I'm responsible for my safety, that's a big job that you're taking on. And some of your uh, preconceived beliefs of how society works and runs and what people are really capable of doing may come in and question. And you're not going to be able to keep your head in the sand. So let's kind of keep that in mind during the discussion on the show today. Now, many people, especially those on the anti-gun side, say that what is not okay for me and for you to do, which is carry a gun, defend yourself with a gun, uh, possess certain types of firearms and accessories, things like uh, suppressors or a stock for a pistol, that those things are okay for the police because they have had training in how to handle those firearms and how to handle those accessories. Most police, though, do not have near the amount of training with guns that the general public believes that they do. Now, there are many who are real tuned up, but in general, it's not to the level that most people think that it is. And it could be argued that the, the most of the training is in officer safety and in getting people to comply with what the officer wants and also what to do if someone doesn't immediately comply. So in the pursuit of compliance to say that these are the levels of force that you can use and if you follow policies and departmental guidelines, it will be seen as warranted or justified and there won't be any repercussions. And, you know, when we look at the police, we have given the police massive amounts of power and control over us over the years. It seems that every year this power and control is increased. And usually this is done for one of two stated reasons. And it's, it's going to be for the safety of you and I as everyday citizens, or it's going to revolve around officer safety. Many times, though, we don't have a lot of say. We have very little say in what these increases will be, nor do we have a say as in how far the increases in, in the power and the control over you and I will go. Now, some people will justify these increases by saying, look, the police have a, a hard job and it's a dangerous job. And while that is true, we can't we cannot say anything goes. We can't say that it's okay to trample on the innocent to pursue the guilty. There there has to be checks and balances. There has to be the understanding of the social contract that we've entered into with the police. You know, as a society, we've agreed to certain rules and we've given the police, like it or not, special privileges that the rest of us don't have. Uh, And we've done that through laws and through statutes. And I think many of the privileges that the police have, we should have, uh, especially when it comes to firearms. Uh, And that's when we're talking about, you know, a a lot of the things of class three weapons, things like I should be able to buy a uh, a suppressor. I shouldn't have to to fill out any extra paperwork. I should be able to buy a, a, a uh, stock for a pistol to make it easier for me to shoot. Uh, just ridiculous things. Um, but anyway, we often forget, like when, when people are saying that 
it's a tough or it's a dangerous job for police and therefore they should be able to kind of do whatever they want. We often forget that being a police officer, it's a voluntary thing. They weren't drafted, uh, nor were they forced in any way to do that job. And even though it is a hard and a dangerous job at times, it's still a job. And if they're not willing to to abide by that social contract, and if we're not willing to abide by it, to abide by it, by meaning that we we enforce the limits of that contract, and we have, we limit the power that the police can have over us. If we're not willing to do it, that's when we get enforcers and and we lose peacekeepers. And most of us, the average person, we don't realize just how how deep the police can intrude into our, you know, so-called private lives. And the reason most of us truly don't understand the extent is that we as again, average law-abiding people have very little contact with the police. Most of us have contact with police due to uh, traffic-related issues. And we can argue the validity of, you know, quote, traffic-related issues, close quote. But most of the traffic stops are for one or two reasons. The first being basically revenue generation under the guise of public safety. And the second being as an information-gathering tool, uh, what you and I would, would call fishing. Uh, the first example is pretty self-explanatory, uh, and you know the reality of it is you may have been speeding or changing lanes without signaling or, or doing something where they actually, under our current laws and statutes, would have a valid reason for pulling you over. Uh, but realistically, most accidents happen because of inattention and not because of a level of speed or a failure to signal. Um, so uh, the majority of our traffic laws are for generation of revenue. Now, the second thing that we talked about, meaning gathering information or as an investigative tool, it can be a little bit more sinister. And let's, so let's say that, as an example, that you're getting off from work and uh, tonight had been inventory night and it's, it's now 3 a.m., the police see you driving, and they decide that they want to pull you over to see if you've been up to something illegal or you've been pursuing some illegal activities because the area that you have to drive through to get to your house, it's a crummy area, and most people who are around here at the time of night, again, we said it was about 3 a.m., they're either up to no good or maybe they're buying drugs. And so they pull you over, and the reason they give you for pulling you over is that your taillight was kind of flickering in and out or that your vehicle matched the description of a vehicle that was involved in an altercation that took place, you know, earlier on in the evening. And during the conversation with you, uh, they get your ID, they run your plates, they, they find out, you know, where are you headed or they find out what have you been doing tonight. Uh, but now that they've talked to you, it's clear that uh, you don't match the description of the person involved or this is just a warning, make sure you get that headlight looked at and you're kind of free to go. And you have to remember that in this scenario, your taillight was never out and that there really was no altercation where your your vehicle description matched you know, the one that was there because it never happened. And the question you would ask would, is, is there stop at that point? Is it justified? And if your answer would, would be yes, that, you know, you were in kind of a crummy area and 
usually, you know, people aren't out there unless they're up to no good. And since you weren't doing anything, it's not a big deal. You just lost a little bit of time and they didn't get a ticket or anything like that. They let you go on your way. And so they're kind of doing a, they're, they're doing a public service by pulling you over. But remember, you weren't doing anything wrong. You hadn't done, you hadn't broken any laws. And if your answer is still yes, if you change the excuse that they gave you from a taillight to the fact that they saw an NRA bumper sticker or a Ron Paul sticker on your car and they pulled you over because that makes you under the new guidelines suspicious, would that still be a justifiable stop? Is that is that still justifiable? Can you can you really say because you're exercising freedom of speech that they should be able to pull you over? Now let's say that there's not a whole lot of cars out there. Let's say that mass mass transit, excuse me, actually really worked, and that's pretty much what everybody used. And if that were the case, the average person would probably have about zero contact with the police. And I want you to think about over the last eh, two, three years, other than a traffic issue, what has been your official contact with the police? Not, eh, I saw a guy at Denny's or I saw him at the mall or someplace where they were acting as security, but something where you came into official contact with the police. And the vast majority of us would not have had any contact. So in another example, let's say that you're very very proud of your Scottish heritage and you wear your kilt all the time. Now it's 1130 at night. You're out walking around the park near your house because uh, you work the 3 to 11 shift and you like to walk around to kind of wind down from work. And the police see you and they think it's odd to see you out there, number one, and then also to see you in what they consider to be a skirt. So they decide to stop you and question you as to why you're out. So were they justified? Was that a valid stop? Were you really suspicious or did they just were they kind of fishing again? And if your answer was yes, if you change that, uh, if you change the kilt to maybe open carry of a firearm and your Scottish heritage to your Second Amendment rights, are they still justified? So if you're out walking around at the park uh, and it's six o'clock in the evening and they see that you're open carrying and it's legal in your state. Are they justified in coming up and talking to you about it? And that's, let's not use the example of some crazy state like California where you can open carry, but the gun has to be unloaded. Let's talk about a real state like Arizona where open carry is accepted. Would they be justified in stopping you in a state like Arizona? Because under law in California, they can. Or in a state like Oregon where open carry is valid. You know, the average person out there wouldn't have a problem with a police stopping somebody who is open carrying. But they would have a problem if the police showed up at their home at 3 a.m. and said, we're coming in and we're going to search your house. And then if you said, well, do you have a warrant? What's going on? They're saying, no, I don't know who you are. And so we're going to come in and look around for our safety and for the safety of the community, the safety of your neighbors. We're just going to come in and look through your house, make sure everything's okay. So in that case, the I don't know who you are reason that the police give 
would not be justified to those same people in that circumstance who says, well, sure, so it's, it's valid reason for the police to stop a guy if he's open carrying. So let's talk about why the police should not be militarized, why it's, why it's a bad thing. If local police take equipment and training from feds and military units, both from the U.S. and, and from other countries in some instances, like when they go over and train in Israel, what it does ultimately, and maybe not right now, but ultimately it makes usurping what little local control and constraint there is. It makes that very easy. The local cops will become used to seeing the federal government as the ultimate authority, and it's going to be to the federal government whom they'll feel that they're really accountable to and not to the local government, which if we're doing our jobs, the local government is us. So if we're holding our local government, if we're holding our local elected officials accountable and tell them we expect you to do this, that, and the other thing, then they in turn will hold the police accountable to us. Uh, so what it will do is it, 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 in a sense, it can help foster a sense of community. It can also f- some now some of this stuff where they're where they're going much more militaristic and going more federalized. It also fosters the belief, uh, the incorrect belief that cops are not civilians, but that they're in a separate privileged class above the rest of us. And unfortunately, that's that's kind of true. And also, what's unfortunate is that. The separation from the community. So when they think that they're a privileged class or an elite, it makes it much easier to violate your civil rights and your unalienable rights of all of those who aren't in league with the state or aren't in league with the government or aren't them. And the number one reason why you want to have peace officers and not law enforcers is that the latter, so the enforcers, will enforce unjust laws, and they'll choose policy over just laws and will ultimately choose the machine over the people. And I'm not saying that this has happened right now and it's going every day, but as it gets further and further down the road, it's going to be easier to do this. So again, this is why you don't want the police to become militarized or, in other words, to see themselves as a small elite force that's deep in enemy territory. Because when that happens... When, when that way of thinking becomes the normal attitude and the normal operating procedure, we, meaning everyone who's not law enforcement, becomes by default the enemy. And it, it becomes, when you view somebody as the enemy, it becomes easy to do whatever you want to. So the ends will justify the means. The enemy, by definition, isn't going to be part of your group. The enemy seeks to harm you or to take away from you what's yours. Uh, Ultimately, the enemy is either to be subjugated or destroyed. So, I I don't know. I'm starting to get a little fired up and maybe floating off track here a little bit. Uh, But anyway, I think we're going to go ahead and call the, the, uh, the show to a close today. And before we go, I, it's not to say that we don't need police. It's not to say that there aren't bad people out there. And it's not to say that the police don't do a valid job and have a valid service for us as a community. But we shouldn't put police up on a pedestal. 
We should accept them as part of the community. We shouldn't give them special privileges and make them an elite class. They're civilians. They're part of the community. They're just like us. They have families. They have hopes and dreams, just like the rest of us. And I don't... It's almost like it's a class warfare thing. And and again, some of the points I made about if you see everybody else as them, it becomes easy to dehumanize them. It becomes easy to do things that you know aren't right. And even if you're an officer out there and you disagree with everything I say, there's many instances out there where we see that certain officers are doing things that are wrong and certain officers are going beyond what they should be doing and are abusing their power. But it's not being reported. It's not being taken care of. The only time it seems to get taken care of is when something shows up on YouTube or on a cell phone video. And you have to realize that for the for the percent the small and it's probably a small percentage i don't i have no idea what it is but for the the small percentage of cops that are out there that you see on these youtube videos remember this isn't the first time that these guys have done this type of stuff they're out there abusing their authority and overstepping the bounds all the time and again it's a small percentage but other people, other officers know about that behavior and, and, and they're not doing stuff about it. So when, at what point do they become culpable? At what point are they part of the problem, even though they're not doing the wrong things or making the wrong decisions? So anyway, I hope this gave you some food for thought. I hope you got something out of the show today. Um, if you agree, disagree, Send it in. I've kind of put out how I feel sort of out there. Uh, if you have a difference of opinion, you can go ahead and, and send that in, and I'll play that for you. I don't know that we'll go round and round with stuff. Uh, but if you do send something in, I'll read it out for you or play it for you on the show, uh, whether you agree or disagree. doesn't matter. All right, guys. Uh, again, thanks for sticking with me, and I will talk to you next time. Take care.
Oh, the devil is given in superhuman strength. 